Good morning, good morning, everyone. Let me grab this. Wow, honestly, hearing about the missions endeavor there, if that doesn't get you excited, you're not alive today. (laughs) Honestly, I have to process mark those numbers and the Northwest Ministry Network needs to get saved. Right? We need to get saved. <laughs> or I'll just become a part of this, this district. Is that okay? Wow. So good to be with you. How many people are ready for the next 30, 35 minutes to be messed up? Are you ready? That is my goal is to mess you up. People ask, what do I do with recalibrate? It really, here's what I do. At the end of the day, I want every pastor and leader to like their church. I, I, you know, really, honestly, I want you to be, because I remember coming to this moment at New Life where, wow, I could actually invite somebody and not be embarrassed. Anyone in the house? And what I want today, honestly, I want to ignite a fire, a passion. It was John Wesley that says that um, all I do is I catch myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. And what I hope to do, every one of us, is that we'd light a fire in your spiritual life and in your leadership life. Thank you for your excitement in the house. I want you to love Jesus, and I want you to grow as a leader so you can lead your church and lead the local church. I want you to be passionate. And the fact is, I realize we are, like what you said, in COVID, out of COVID. I don't know where we're at with COVID. But I want us to get out of this to go get beyond us and still love like Jesus and love our board and love the deacons, demons, and love everyone. And so that's our goal here. I would, we have this session today, then tomorrow, and really just hoping to just honestly mess us up a little bit, get us thinking about church, where we're going. And um, I'm praying that this would be a phenomenal session for you. My wife is here. Give Jana a big hand. She's here um, tonight. Tonight, we will be talking together about Dry Bones Live Again. So excited about tonight. And then tomorrow, coming back together, we're going to take some time to do Q&A. And here's how we're going to do it. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to give you my cell phone, my personal cell phone. If you have any questions about anything, honestly, you could text me. This is my personal cell number. Text me, and we will respond to your questions tonight and tomorrow morning. Is that fair? All right. Thank you, guys. Are you ready, right? So I've been, as we said last night, I've been at New Life Church. It was written to assembly. Got saved there when I was 13 years old. Got saved at a Assemblies of God Bible camp. And the church literally transformed my life. I learned how to be a man of God, how to be a dad, how to be a husband. By the way, memorize half the New Testament through Bible quiz. And up to that moment, I had never really done any kind of learning, growing. It was the Bible that taught me how to think, how to have logic, literally transform my life. And another side note, it was memorizing the Word of God that took away my stuttering problem. It was God's Word that transformed my life. I love, so everything, you need to say this, I absolutely love the church. I love the local church. So what I'm about to say, some of you go, I need to put that context in this. However, what we're doing is not working in many cases. However, the truth is most churches are stagnated. Most churches are stuck. It's so funny how we don't get amens right there, right? The the truth is 
established churches all over America, 350,000 churches in America. And the truth is, though, we're not reaching lost people. We're not really on mission with the gospel. And my burden, like if I had one thing beyond loving my family and beyond loving Jesus and beyond loving my church, is somehow to get every church in this place to ignite a new passion and fire and get our churches back on mission. The fact is, I am a big believer in the established church. A lot of people have given up on the established church. I haven't. I believe there are churches with 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. I pastor a church with 90 years of history. I believe for my church, the best is yet to come. And that we truly need to learn how to lead our churches. And so about 10 years ago, I had people challenge me. Okay, you believe all that, you believe all of it, but how do you really help a church? How do you help a church regardless where they're at, if they're rural, suburban, if they're wherever they may be, how do you really help a church? How do you go beyond that excitement and really help a church? And so that's what I wanted to do here. This morning, I want to talk to you about the whole concept on a 30,000-foot view. Tomorrow morning, I'm actually going to give you a couple steps on how to really, truly start moving your church forward. But let me tell you what, I'm, as I have studied it, some people, when they think about the church not being effective, stagnated, 350,000 churches, most of them are not growing. <laughs> the truth is, we like to blame the devil. We're really good at that, aren't we? It's the devil. You put him in the garden. I mean, he's there. We like to blame our leadership, our board, our demons, our deacons. We like to blame them. We like to blame the people, the, the pillars. I, what I love is when I talk to pastors, we love to blame like the senior adults of the church, the pillars of the church, people that have been. Well, they don't want to change. By the way, Mark Twain said the only person that likes change is a wet baby. <laughs> and we like to blame them. You know what I've discovered? <laughs> Pastors don't like to change. What I've discovered, everyone okay with this, right? Is that, honestly, we, we don't want, we don't want that, you know, that Lucille Johnson we talked about. We don't, she doesn't, no, no, I've discovered pastors get stagnated. And leadership in your church starts with you looking in the mirror and getting really honest about yourself. Leadership starts where you fire the liar, and you can't lie to yourself if you unlead yourself. It starts with you looking in the mirror and going, wow, I, something's wrong. I wouldn't want to hear me preach. Leadership starts when the leader steps up and says, okay, yeah, boy, in this case, this context, we've gone through COVID, it's been hard, but it's time for me to look in the mirror and the, the hardest person I lead at New Life Church, the hardest person, it's not my board, it's not my staff, it's not the senior adults, it's not, the hardest person I lead at my church is the man in the mirror. I'm the one that's stubborn. I'm the one that resists change. I'm the one that wants comfort. And my wife says, amen. That's really dangerous. <laughs> And so here's what I discovered. I want you to kind of write this down, and I want to really process a little bit with you. At the end of the day, so about 10 years ago, I went on this journey, and I got my doctoral degree. It really, what's wrong with churches? It's, and I'm convinced, well, um, it may be the enemy. I don't think we always try to blame the devil. We always try to blame everyone else. But I think at the end of the day, here it is. Everything, I want you to write this down, everything 
needs to recalibrate. And I want you to think about that. The fact that your church is a bit stagnated or you're stagnating your leadership or you don't really enjoy yourself preaching right now is normal. Do I think there's spiritual dynamics? Absolutely there are spiritual dynamics. The enemy's at war in our churches, right? Come on, right? But even along that, it's just normal. I've been in my church for 40 years. I've been the pastor for 18 years. And the fact is, being at a church, people ask, how in the world can you be at a church for 18 years and, and then really 40 years total? How? As I have learned the secret, and this is huge, how to recalibrate myself before I have to. And here it is. I want you to get this. You're going, okay, can you be more, more powerful than that? I'm telling you, that's as powerful as, come, as it comes. If you don't recalibrate, the fact is you come on, will stagnate. I don't care like how grave a person, how godly of a person. Everything around you, everything, when I say everything, I mean like everything will stagnate left by itself. By itself. Here's the deal. I'm pastor of new life. I realize that just being gone, when I come back, things get stagnated. And it no longer surprises me. It's not like, whoo, something went wrong. No, everything's going right. Everything's going right. Things need to be recalibrated or they will die. And the fact is, most of us have not learned the art to recalibrate. I love the established church, and this is the problem in the established church. In every church history, your, your, the story of your church, there have been moments where your church recalibrates, right? Think about real quickly here, what are some natural moments that your church recalibrates? Natural moments. Yeah, a new pastor. That can trigger a moment where the church recalibrates. And by the way, if you're a new pastor, that is a great opportunity to really rethink the church. Other, other ways when a church recalibrates. COVID. <laughs> like, let's call it a world pandemic. Listen, this is the greatest moment in the history of the church to recalibrate your church. To leverage change. And for you not to wake up and not to ignite a fire in your church, a light of fire yourself, this is the time to do it. And I realize, I get it. Wow, I'm barely like through it and do it. I'm not sure where I'm at. But New Life, your church needs you to really begin to recalibrate that church. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to talk to you about three steps, three phases to recalibrate. But right now, I just want to create in you a thirst that if you don't recalibrate, your church will stagnate. And eventually die. And that is so hard to say amen to, right? But let's just all say it together. Uh, other things. So a new pastor, a world pandemic, a brand new building. What are other things that causes the church to go, okay, we need to rethink. We need to look what's going on. What are some other things? Say it again. <laughs> Disaster. A pastoral division, a church division. All those things. But here's the problem. The reason why established churches no longer recalibrate because eventually in every church you will run out of reasons to recalibrate. In other words, I've been at my church for 18 years. I'm no longer the new guy. We built our building. Done. We have had world pandemic and it was a, a kind of a gift from God. Now we can change again. 
But the truth is, here's, where, here's why churches don't recalibrate. Because the things that will recalibrate your church is something new, fresh, bold. But I've been there 18 years. New? I'm not new any longer. Fresh? Bold? And so my burden for you is to learn how to bring new, fresh, bold to your church when you've been there for a while. Study the history of your church. By the way, the story of your church, you'll see that when the church got on mission, when the church was able to, if something new came to the tent, something bold, there was leadership, someone with clarity that says, we are going to go after, I don't even know how many millions of dollars are giving to missions. Was that 15? 15.6, like, wow, it ignites passion in the house. It gets everyone leaning in. It gets me to give and pray. I mean, I'm thinking about giving all you my mission. Like, you have it all, right? But what happens out there, wow, when you've been at a place for so long, and I'm a big believer in longevity. But by the way, just because you've been at a place for 10 years doesn't mean you have 10 years. You may have 10 years of doing the same thing, repeat it every year. It doesn't mean you have experience. I believe in longevity as a pastor will ignite and learn how to recalibrate themselves. And so what happens, we run out of natural opportunities. What we have to do is we have to create intentional opportunities. So when I use the word recalibrate, I'm talking about igniting something. I'm talking about getting your church back on mission. I'm talking about you, you loving your church again. Now, often when I talk about this, here's what... Um, Someone in the audience will say a couple things. Someone will say, isn't that just a fancy way to say that you need a change? Guilty. <laughs> Come on, guilty. But he, I, I want you to hear the difference, though. There is a difference, but I'm, guilt, I, I'm guilty of it. But there's a difference. When I recalibrate something... I give my car an alignment. Am I changing my car? No, I'm just making my car work right. <laughs> There's a difference here. When I recalibrate something, think about, by the way, what are some things that we recalibrate or we reset every day of our life? What are some things? Huh? Yeah, the alarm clock. Boom. I hate that thing. Yeah. Think about when your phone is slow or when your, when your Wi-Fi is your Wi-Fi's not working right, they tell you to reset what? The, the modem. Turn it off and turn it back on. They tell you to take your computer, turn it off every day. Turn it back on. When the scale doesn't give me the right number, what I do? I kick it. I kick it, everybody. <laughs> Even think about last night. We all went to sleep and we woke up, we recalibrated our bodies. Every one of us today, we went to sleep, and we woke up. We recalibrated our bodies so we have energy. And so, did I change my body? I, I, if I feel, wow, although I'm on two hour different time zones, that's another issue. But am I changing my car? Am I changing my computer? I would argue, well, change happens. This is really critical. I'm just making my car more effective and more efficient. I want to say something that's really big, especially, please, if you're leading an established church, we don't change. I wish somebody would have told me this 18 years ago. We don't change to be cool. We change to be effective. 
Because what we're doing is not working. Now, we don't want to admit that. Well, because everyone's coming. No, it's not reaching new people. It's not having a gospel impact in our cities and communities. So we don't change because, hey, I want to be like the whatever latest celebrity pastor you want to be like. Well, I just, you know, people say, well, just wear skinny jeans and your church will grow. I'm going, really? They don't fit on me, everybody. This is huge. We le- and let me tell you, if you're just like, because I want to be cool and I want to be like whoever your favorite pastor, social media pastor is, you don't change for the sake of change. I change because at New Life, like right now we're looking at our whole assimilation process. We're not connecting the right people. And if I don't connect them, they're, they're going to like maybe go to hell. I don't change our worship style. Come on, this is huge. And I realize anytime you talk about worship, oh, everyone gets nervous. It's easier to change theology than worship music in the church. But we don't like, oh, let's have different worship music. No, we change it because music defines a culture, a generation. And we want to worship God. This is so big. And so I, I, I actually, here's a secret with my wife here. She'll, she'll testify to this. I don't even like change. So why do I do it? I recalibrate the church. Because the truth is, the moment you get your eye off the ball, it's not longer working effectively. Everything needs to recalibrate. By the way, this is not only your spiritual life. This is not only leadership, but this is your marriage. This is your finances. I know with my marriage, 32 years of marriage. Come on. It's because one reason is from time to time, we need to recalibrate our marriage. And I realize that's not a romantic word, but it means we need to get away and reignite the love and passion we have. And find a place to have good sex. That's what it means, everybody. And fall in love. So, is this a fancy way to say we need to change? Maybe. But it's a more of a way to say your church needs to be an alignment. Your church needs to be recalibrated. Everything at your church eventually needs to be touched and brought back to freshness and newness. You need to actually like your church. Now, when I say everything in church for fun needs to recalibrate, give me some things that your neighbor's church needs to recalibrate, not your church. (laughs) Give me some things. Give me some things. In a moment here, I'm going to even ask some more personal questions, but we'll just ask about your neighbor's church or maybe the church down the street. What are some things in church life that need to recalibrate? Yeah, the welcome process. Who said that? Welcome process. Oh, you better believe it. I think it's critical. I go to most churches. I went to a church on vacation. I'm going, wow, I wouldn't attend that church. There's no welcome process. There's no like, I, I felt like I was visiting a family dinner. Welcome process. I'm telling you, everything needs to recalibrate. And, and when I say everything, I literally mean Everything. Uh, other, other areas that need to recalibrate. Come on, give me other areas in your church. Yeah, your budget, you better believe it. How you spend your money matters. 
Some of us are wasting money. We're not using God's resources. We're not creating stewardship. Your budget, other areas. Outreach, how you touch people, how you're communicating the gospel. One of the areas I love to really tap on the shoulders of pastors, and they get all very sensitive, but I'm going to do it anyways, is like you're preaching. I've been at New Life 18 years. I've had to recalibrate my preaching like three or four times. Why? So like, I actually enjoy it. I'm serious. And my poor wife, she has to hear me preach all the time. When's the last time you said, I'm going to bring some freshness and newness and bring my preaching up to speed? When's the, and I realize that's like asking somebody their weight. That's really sensitive. But everything needs to recalibrate or eventually it will stagnate and worse die. Everything needs to recalibrate. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In the world of church life, we have different categories. We have of church planning. Any church planners in the house? Come on, give these guys a big hand. I love it. Good. We have church planners. And we also have um, church revitalization, where you revitalize church. And there's these big categories in church world. But here's my problem. And I love church revitalization, and I love church planning. Both of them I love. The problem is most of us are not in either category. Think about this. When you revitalize something, you're doing something, it needs life support. It's about to die. You know it. It needs to be revitalized. Church planning is new birth, it's excitement, it's energy. But here's the problem I realized as I did my studies. Most churches are not like on life support. They're just what I call deceptively healthy. It's like worse than life support. Because they're like, we're paying the bills, we're preaching, people like us, we're comfortable. We don't need to revitalize the church is actually doing okay. But okay is the problem. Does that make sense? And so one of my burdens is I'm trying to create an entire new category in the church world. Church planning, revitalization. I want a new category where all of us regularly, intentionally recalibrate. By the way, if you recalibrate often enough, maybe one day you won't need life support. Just a little hint. That you learn to bring freshness and newness, learn to get everyone on the same page. I'm going to give that tomorrow, get into some of the details how to get everyone on the same page at your church. If you learn how to do that, then maybe you can avoid one day needing to be revitalized. I think there's a whole other category that every church needs to dial into. How do we recalibrate? How do we, another way I put this is how do I fire myself before someone else fires me? How do I fire myself and then rehire myself and come at my church again with a fresh new vision? Now, here's a couple things I want to do that I'm going to give you kind of the big test, that kind of the big three questions you need to ask yourself when you begin this process. But a lot of people, some people say, well, okay, is this like in the Bible? And I used to, honestly, when I first started this about a decade ago, used to get a little like, wow, that's, of course it is in the Bible. But 
I really thought that is critical because here's the thing. You shouldn't do anything that's not in the Bible. Isn't that awesome, right? Is this in the Bible? I want you to think about for a moment. I want you to think about this. Because, well, no, the gospel doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So my church is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't it in the Bible? Think about how many times from Genesis to Revelation, God, think about this. It will, it will mess you up. Recalibrate his people. Think about it. Read the Bible again. It's actually a very good book, honestly. God recalibrated his people over and over and over again. So when someone goes, no, 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 I don't want to change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. And here's what I say. You better believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But not our programs. And not how we do church. Come on, everyone, right? Just go to the Bible. Now, we could, if we had time, literally do a survey of the Bible, and that would be awesome. But instead of doing a survey of the entire Bible, let's do just a look at the book of Acts. We are charismatic, assembly of God people. Acts is our book. Read it again. Think about this for a moment. Where in the, just the book of Acts, we'll just go one book of the Bible. How many times God recalibrated the church in Acts? Give me a couple moments in Acts where God recalibrated his church. Chapter one. <laughs> no, seriously. Jesus says, I'm going to go to heaven. And they want to still restore the kingdom of Israel. No, you're going to receive power. And guess what? That power is not going to only be used for you Jewish people, but those Gentiles. Like Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth. Whoa! The whole church recalibrated at that moment. The gospel now is for everyone. <laughs> we can't get our churches to even think about vision. Book of Acts, let's keep going. Chapter 2, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Chapter 2, the power of the Spirit came on the church. 3,000 people got saved. At that moment, at the book of Acts, you realize what happened? Now it went from like the prophets and priests being ministers where we're now all ministers. Even your men and your women and even on your servants, they're all going to prophesy. We're all going to be the church. And everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The church went like, boom. Everything changed in Acts 2. Everything. But we go, well, I don't want to change. Read the Bible. And they struggled with it all the way through the book of Acts. Really, even women can preach. Even like all people. You mean all? Like even Gentiles? Yeah, even Gentiles. Book of Acts. Give me some other places. Yeah, Cornelius. Oh, Acts 10. There's Peter, and God's going, don't call unclean what I called clean. Peter's going, really? Yeah, that means you got to love people. But Peter's going, but this is the way it's been done for 6,000 years. This is the way, God. What's wrong with you? Peter was so recalibrated. And you can use whatever words you want to use. Revived. Messed up. Turn around. Everything changed in Acts 10. Other places in Acts. 
Yeah, Paul, boom, Paul being saved. Just Paul coming to the church was a radical moment of recalibration. Like, here's this guy that was a threat to Christianity. Welcome to Assembly of God Church, right? I mean, recalibrated the church other places in Acts. Yeah, the persecution caused the church to be recalibrated. I find it interesting. Do you realize that we weren't even called Christians until Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12, and 13? We were called people of the way. Well, we, <laughs> the entire organization changed its name. Well, you can't change the name of my church. We just need to read the Bible again. And then they took Paul and Barnabas and started this missionary journey. Let's get out of Jerusalem and get them out of here. Everything changed. One of my favorite moments in the Bible of a major recalibration at Acts 15, where the Gentiles are getting saved and they're coming to one of our Assembly of God churches, and the pastor stands up and says, Hey, those Gentiles, you need to be circumcised, so we have a cutting edge ministry in the back. Go! And they fought about this. Think about it. They fought. They sat there and argued. Should this 32-year-old Gentile that's new to the faith be circumcised? And I want to go, how did you even know? I mean, I don't know. So here's the deal. I don't believe, and I'm going to say it loud and clear, we should change for the sake of change. We should change because honestly, come on, let's just be honest. The three, and I realize this is not true for Minnesota, so we'll just deal with all the other churches in the country. The 350,000 churches in America, what we're doing is not reaching lost people. And we need to wake up. Wake up. And when I talk to you, I'm talking to me. I'm pastor. I mean, I was at my church yesterday. I'm going, oh, we just, oh. There were cringe moments yesterday at my church. I'm going, oh, Jesus, no. Jana, you take care of it. I mean, it was, I get it. But we have to be willing to recalibrate. What's my time? How much? 10, 15. I got 10 minutes. Good. Got 10 minutes. So big. And a part of my job is just to wake up the pastor and the leadership team and get honest enough to say, yes, here's the biggest challenge. Yes, we need to recalibrate. And what I like about this language, again, here's what I like about the language. It's normal. It's not like because people, well, because we have a bad leader. No, you can be a great leader and you'll need to recalibrate. And you're probably a bad leader because you haven't read a book for a few years, honestly. You haven't seen anything larger than yourself. Recalibrate. Or you'll stagnate. One day you'll have to be revitalized. And here's the deal. I don't care what size of church, what community, where you're at. That community needs a church and a pastor that loves God. Really, truly being a gospel church, empowered by the Spirit, willing to recalibrate. Okay? So here's the big questions you start with. And tomorrow, I'll get a little more practical. And by the way, you could text me questions. And um, I may even respond to a couple of them personally over text. But we'll try to do it tonight and tomorrow. But there is what I call the first big three questions you need to ask yourself when you're about to recalibrate your church. 
I call them the God question, the gut question. Let's see, they're, they're the God, the gut, and the gutsy question. Everyone say those out loud. The God, the gut, and the gutsy question. Here are the three questions. You ready? And pretend like I was coaching you one-on-one or in a smaller setting. I'd go, okay, let's ask the real God question. And my first question I would ask you is, what is God birthing in your heart? What is your assignment? Like right now, I have to ask myself, and I do this every year, as we go into a new year, what's, what's the spirit prompting in me? What's going on? And I'm talking about a new vision, new program. Come on, get it out. And a lot of times with pastors, you got to get them being a little bit honest and get them going. A lot of times you have to go through stuff like, I don't know. And that's okay. But what's prompting? And here's what I'd say to you very clearly. Don't lead your church into change and new dream and new vision if you don't at least have a sense that this is from God. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily some people are people that go onto the mountain like Moses and come down, boom. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a sense like that Acts 15 seems good. This just seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. This seems good that we go this direction. It just seems. Or, or that language I introduced yesterday, perhaps this is God. But at least Jonathan thought perhaps it was God. Does that make sense? What is God birthing you? And if God's not birthing something in you, that's like the beginning point. My wife and I have language for this in our home. I do a prayer and planning retreat a couple times a year. And occasionally my wife will say to me, Ooh, you need a prayer and planning retreat. And that's called like, you haven't heard from God for a minute. <laughs> what is God prompting in you? Maybe this afternoon, find a journal, get away, walk. I don't know how you hear from God. I don't know how you do it. I hear from God sometimes in the shower. I hear from God just walking. Like, what is God prompting in you? And that could come from, like, Scripture. By the way, study the story of your church. You know, let me tell you where the nuggets of the, for your, the future of your church is probably found in the first 10 years of your church. Honestly. Man, when I studied the first 10, 15 years of new life, it was the Brant sisters that were bold and opened up our church. Two, two sisters and started a bicycle shop. And the reason they opened up the doors of our church is because they wanted to reach the children of the Renton, South King County area. I'll go with them. Let me dream with them. What is God birthing? And if you can't answer that question, I'm not talking again like it has to be Moses coming. That's good too if that happens. But you have a sense that this is really what's keeping the church back. Does that make sense? Now, second question is more serious. Not more serious. It's really personal. And this question is, what makes, the gut question, is what makes you cringe? What makes you, ugh, go, it bothers you. One of the ways, if you only hear this, this will help you recalibrate if you take it serious. I ask myself that question all the time, every Sunday, especially about my Sunday gathering. What makes me cringe? Because if it makes me cringe, that new person is not staying around. 
And what's worse, what makes me cringe is why people won't invite their friends to New Life. Because if it makes me cringe, it's making them cringe. They just won't tell you. Some of you are worried about the complaints you hear. I'm not worried about complaints I hear. I'm worried about the ones I don't hear. Now, the ones I hear, blah, most of them are... Uh, fill it in, fill it in. It's the ones I don't hear. And you have to be aware, like, what makes you cringe? And when I ask that question, I, this, I know usually, like... <laughs> It's always fun because um, I will ask in a moment what makes you cringe at your church. I found, I don't know why, ladies have an easier time answering that than the men. You ask my wife what makes her cringe at New Life, right? She has the list right now. But what makes you cringe, I think, is another way to get the direction of your church. Like, here's what I do, but what makes you cringe? Let's fix that. Let's get some of the, by the way, they need to be mission critical, and hopefully tomorrow we can talk a little bit about that. You can't make every, you can't fix everything overnight. But you have to figure out the things that make you cringe, especially for us on a Sunday morning gathering. You better believe I'm going to do everything I can not to live with that forever. And let me just say this, if that person that makes you cringe, one of your ushers that you don't want anyone really to see, but you keep them there? If you keep them there, you deserve that. Not, it's not their fault. What makes you cringe? So let's do this real quick. Let's visit your church on a Sunday morning. Let's go there for a moment. Drive up to your parking lot for a second. Walk into your lobby. Would you invite a friend? Would you connect? Just for fun. And I know it's hard. And by the way, none of you are allowed to say that the pastor's preaching makes you cringe. That's not allowed to say right now. But what makes you cringe at your church right now? Ooh, deep breath. Let me just get two or three things that make you cringe. Right? There we are, yes. So the time, so the time between worship and the sermon, <laughs> that is a good discussion. That's a good discussion. And it ought to cause, notice how that one question go, and I'm not trying, I'm trying to cause a little bit of disruption so we can learn, we can figure out what to recalibrate. Does that make sense? It's a question that will cause you to be unsettled. And so the timing of the gathering is big. It's big. And um, boy, I don't have time in all this setting to think about this out loud with you, but it's big. And can I tell you why it's big at New Life? And this is why, by the way, I'll talk tomorrow how to get on the same page. Because getting everyone on the same page will help you with that cringe button. And one of the things that new life, for us, anything that negatively impacts our children's ministry makes me cringe. Anything. Children, reach them and you reach everybody. Just a side note, this is why getting on the same page so you get all your cringe buttons together is good. Okay, so the timing of the gathering. Other things that make you cringe. Yes. Say again. Yeah, guests that leave. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they, yeah it makes you cringe. Yeah, the whole conversation of first and second time people, I am shocked why that doesn't make every pastor in this room cringe. Let's say you get, when I coach a pastor many times, well, people aren't coming. 
I have found that most churches, you're getting one or two, three visitors a week. You don't even know, you don't even care though. I mean, you care. That's, I didn't say that right. It just needs to be recalibrated. It's stagnated. No one's giving it thought. How to create a warm welcome. But we want our church to grow. We want to take the demons out of hell. No, like, call the new people. Like, if there's three, you text them. What makes you cringe? I, every Sunday, this messes me up. I, and I had a, like, Sunday morning, and they had to get on a plane and come to Minnesota on Monday. I'm going, oh, I got to go back because things just become cringy and because they need to be recalibrated. What makes you cringe is such a powerful question. Anything else that makes you cringe at your church? And this, huh? Yeah, dirty bathrooms. Dirty, let me tell you, by the way, you don't need God to tell you to clean the bathrooms. Uh, honestly, you don't need a word from the Lord to know to get the bathrooms clean. What makes you cringe? What makes you cringe? What fights against the fact new people sticking are, are uh, you wouldn't invite a friend to your church because of that. And, and let me just say, let me join pastor to pastor. <laughs> If I sat down this last Sunday and gave you all the things that made me cringe, it makes me cringe. But it's why new life stays healthy. Because we live with that tension. We live with it. And we're able to go, okay, what do we need to do practically to actually go after that? What makes you cringe? And Pastor, let me tell you, I'm telling you, I don't know how to say this. At the end of the day, you have to be really brutally honest about this because I want to make sure that my preaching, and I mean this, is, is not the thing that's making the church cringe. I want to make sure the worship, the basic, when I say basic, I say mission critical things. The meat and potatoes, are like, like just worship and bathrooms and lobby and attitude of the church. Now, if you're saying, wow, the list is big, all that means is it's time to recalibrate. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean you're a bad leader. It doesn't mean the devil's attacking. It wasn't the devil that made those restrooms stink. Oh, that doesn't mean that. It just means, it doesn't mean because, you know, those ushers are just not ushing. I mean, it doesn't mean, I mean, what it means is that those ushers and and those greeters, the children's ministry, they need a new vision. They need something to give their life for. That's all that that means. And last question, and we'll be done, is the God gutsy questions. And this is a powerful question. Are you really, 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 really ready to lead your church and change? Are you ready? Really? I don't know. After COVID, and I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't feel ready. I, a lot of times, like, oh, I look at that area on Sunday I'm thinking about. I don't even want to call it the area because they, you know, <laughs> my pastors may hear, right? But I'm going, am I ready? I, and I go, it's oftentimes I go, yes, ish. Ish. 
But then when I think about, there are people all over the Seattle area that need the church to be relevant and need the church to be fresh and need the people to really like what God's doing. Yeah, I get ready real quick. And then when I put into practice some of the methodologies, I wouldn't be ready if I didn't know what to do with it, but I do know how to ignite a fire and get people back on mission. And so tomorrow I'm going to talk about just some basic things. I'm going to talk about how do you, first of all, get yourself, how do you recalibrate yourself tomorrow? How do you get everyone on the same page? And let me just say this to you, Pastor, the, the most difficult, complicated, single most important thing you do is getting everyone on the same page. Everyone in your church, they have a lens of how to do church. It is your job to get everyone on the same page of where you're going. And then, leading your church in a bold initiative that will wake up the soul of your church. Just one last statement that I'll pray here that will wake up your church. Here's what I believe. Get ready, everyone take a deep breath. Deep ready? I think every church, established churches I'm talking to, needs to relaunch their church every three to five years. Matter of fact, if I'm talking to church planners, I say, church planners, you're launching your church right now, get ready in about three to five years, you're going to need to do it again. That means you need to come back to your mission, your vision, your mission critical ministries. You need to roll up your sleeve. You need to say, it is time again, church, for us to dream. I've led New Life for 18 years. I've relaunched the church about five times in the last 18 years. And that's why we're able to keep the church on mission. Because there's these moments where everyone's ready. New dream, new vision. Let's recalibrate. Let's recalibrate. Let's go for it again. Let's believe that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And so if you have questions, text them to me. We'll answer some tonight, tomorrow morning. And tonight, we're going to be praying that dry bones would live again, that God would speak to each and every one of us. God bless you.